I'm Eliza Giles. You're listening to Mud Season. And hello again from Fox News in Washington. After weeks of shocking accusations, loud protests, and hardball politics... The nomination of Brett M. Kavanaugh of Maryland to be an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States is confirmed. Kavanaugh is expected to take his place on the Supreme Court Tuesday. The Senate confirmed him by a 50 to 48 almost straight party line vote. Amid the finality, bruising contrast of victory and defeat, a divided America and the promise of more battles to come. So now we're in what is what you can think of as the post-nuclear option world. So long as you have unified government, meaning a, a president and a Senate controlled by the same party, there is nothing that the opposition party can do to stop them from filling judicial seats. That's Dr. Lisa Holmes. She studies judicial appointments from her offices overlooking Lake Champlain at the University of Vermont. Holmes sees the federal court system as at a tipping point. We have a Supreme Court for the first time in modern American history where there is a five-member conservative wing, all of whom were appointed by Republicans, and a four-member liberal wing, all of whom were appointed by Democratic presidents. We've had an ideologically divided Supreme Court for a number of years, but it wasn't until recently that those ideological divisions also kind of perfectly mirrored the party identification of the president who appointed them. And this ideologically divided Supreme Court has some huge impact cases to consider this coming session. It's shaping up as though it could be a blockbuster term. There's an abortion case on their docket this year. There's a gun rights case on their docket this year. There's a religion case on the docket this year. All the culture war stuff. There are also a handful of really important cases dealing with things like presidential power. And this matters because this once trusted branch of government is now also being seen as putting politics above the law. Here's what Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan had to say on the matter back in 2018. Part of the court's legitimacy depends on people not seeing the court in the way that people see uh, the rest of the governing structures of this country now. In other words, people thinking of the court as not politically divided in the same way, as not an extension of politics, but instead uh, somehow above the fray. And I think that's an important point, too, because a lot of judicial um, scholars worry that this might cause further politicization of the judiciary, that the public might just start to think of the Supreme Court as a bunch of partisan hacks, just like everybody else. So how did we get here? How did we get to a place where the Supreme Court is seen as partisan and the appointment of federal judges has become deeply political? The simple truth is that the appointment process is political and Republicans are a lot better at it than Democrats. The modern story starts in 2013, when then-Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid moved to remove the filibuster for federal judges because Republicans had been successful in sharply slowing the pace of appointments. Up on Capitol Hill, just ahead of the vote, the Majority Leader Harry Reid expressed frustration over Republicans using filibusters to block President Obama's nominees. What was happening then was that Republicans in the Senate were using the filibuster a lot to stymie and oppose Obama's nominees, especially to the lower courts. Democrats were beginning to get increasingly frustrated with this opposition by the Republican minority to Obama's nominees. The use of the filibuster here had been growing for years, but it was becoming particularly problematic for the Obama administration. These nominees deserve at least an up or down vote. Yes or no. 
but Republican filibusters deny them a fair vote, any vote, and deny the president his team. So what Harry Reid, who was then the Senate Majority Leader, did at the time was what's called, what's commonly referred to as the nuclear option. Reduce the power of the filibuster so that it could no longer be used as a way to thwart for good judicial appointments, at least to those district and circuit court levels that I was talking about. So the way to think about the nuclear option, I think, is that it turns the filibuster into more of a procedural hurdle rather than a nomination ender. So that's what the Democrats did in 2013. And on one level, it worked. Obama successfully confirmed quite a few more judges than he would have otherwise. At the time, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said, be careful what you do, Harry Reid. If you do this, you will regret it maybe sooner than you think. So fast forward to 2016 uh, in February when Scalia dies unexpectedly. Welcome to World News Tonight. Breaking news. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia has died. The longest serving justice on the nation's high court. Of course, what many people remember is that Obama nominated Merrick Garland to that seat. Today I am nominating Chief Judge Merrick Brian Garland to join the Supreme Court. Merrick Garland was, uh, is still uh, a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. He's moderately liberal, eminently qualified. What, of course, happened was that Mitch McConnell's Republican-controlled Senate made it very clear right away that they were not going to confirm Merrick Garland. Most Republicans in the Senate would not even meet with him at the time. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says the next president should pick the nominee. Give the people a voice in filling this vacancy. It seems clear that President Obama made this nomination not, not with the intent of seeing the nominee confirmed, but in order to politicize it for purposes of the election. So, of course, what ends up happening is Merrick Garland doesn't even get a hearing in the Senate. The seat is still open when the presidential election comes around in 2016, and exit polls indicate that it was one of the reasons that Trump got elected. So the gambit of holding Scalia's seat open and going public with Trump's intentions of who he might nominate to replace Scalia paid off beautifully for them. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell not mincing words about what he intends to do when Gorsuch faces the full Senate. And McConnell extends the nuclear option to the Supreme Court vacancy to weaken the use of filibuster to oppose nominees. Therefore, I raise a point of order that the vote on closure under the precedent set on November 21st, 2013 is a majority vote on all nominations. So long story short, what that meant was that Scalia's seat was now going to be filled by a Republican president and a Republican-controlled Senate, and there was virtually nothing that the Democratic minority in the Senate could do about it. The nomination of Neil M. Gorsuch of Colorado to be an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States is confirmed. And beginning in 2017, with a Republican Senate and a Republican in the White House, the judicial appointment machine goes to work. And remember, Republicans are just plain better at this. 
more ruthless, more focused on the prize. So one thing that is happening kind of below the the surface, most people aren't really paying attention to this, is that the one of is that the Trump administration has been very very successful at nominating and confirming judges. They have prioritized it and with the assistance of Mitch McConnell's Republican controlled Senate, they've been unusually successful in getting young conservative judges appointed and confirmed to the federal judiciary. As the House voted to impeach President Trump last week, the Senate voted to confirm more than a dozen of President Trump's judicial nominees. The Senate has taken advantage of this time to confirm more of President Trump's well-qualified nominees for federal service as well as the judiciary. Yesterday, we confirmed Chad... According to the Washington Post, a quarter of all federal circuit court judges in the country were appointed by the president, almost ensuring a conservative tilt for decades. President Trump has so far installed 187 judges to the federal judiciary. Five of those were also given labels of not qualified by the ABA. And because of McConnell's work at the tail end of Obama's administration, President Trump inherited more than the usual number of vacancies. That, coupled with a, a favorable Republican-controlled Senate and the weakened filibuster, meant that the Trump administration had a, a largely cleared path to flooding the judiciary with new Trump judges. To date, as of just a couple of days ago when I, I looked at these numbers, President Trump had appointed successfully and confirmed 190 judges to the circuit and district courts put together. Compare that to the 324 judges that uh, Obama had appointed across eight full years. So where we're at right now is that President Trump has already nomin uh, appointed successfully well more than half the number of judges that Obama did across eight years. I suspect this conveyor belt of judicial appointments to continue as long as McConnell can make it continue until November's election and maybe even into the lame duck session. So what that means is by the end of his first term in office, President Trump will have successfully appointed more judges than any president in American history. In his four-year term. Two lifetime tenured seats on the judiciary. And in terms of adding diversity to the federal bench, Trump is going in the opposite direction appointing a majority of young, conservative, white men. Of his appointments, about one in four are women and one in seven are people of color. Before him, President Obama appointed a majority non-white, non-male judges. It's something that mobilizes the typical Republican voter a lot more than the typical Democratic voter. And I think it's because judicial appointments, talking about judges, is a convenient way to shorthand a lot of issues that Republican voters care about. So I think, and this is what I'm trying to show in my work, that when you speak of judges to gun rights advocates, they think, yeah, I'm down with that, Second Amendment. When you speak to evangelical Christians about judges, I think they think about things like abortion and gay rights. So I think that judges is a convenient way to appeal to disparate parts of the Republican base in a really effective way. And perhaps this is why winning these seats is so important. For example, if Ginsburg or another liberal justice leaves before the election, this time Mitch McConnell will not be waiting for the election and the people to decide. It's interesting because uh, McConnell went public the day Scalia died. 
which was an interesting gambit. But what McConnell ended up saying was, let's let the people decide in the 2016 presidential election who should get to fill Scalia's seat. Interestingly, last spring, uh, McConnell was making remarks in front of some organization, I don't remember which one, and he was asked, well, if this were to happen again and there were to be a vacancy in the 2020 presidential election year, would you approach it the same way? Would you hold that seat and let the voters decide in the 2020 election? And McConnell kind of chuckled. There's video of this. He kind of chuckled and said, no, we would go ahead and move forward with it. I'll wait till I. <clears throat> so if there were to be a vacancy on the Supreme Court this year, I fully expect that President Trump would nominate somebody, the Republicans would confirm them, and there would be little to nothing Democrats could do about it because of the weakened filibuster. Thank you for listening to Mud Season, a podcast presented by the Center for Research on Vermont. This week's episode was written by Richard Watts and produced and edited by me, Eliza Giles. Also special thanks to Lisa Holmes for sharing your knowledge for this episode. If you're studying Vermont, either as a profession or as a hobby, consider applying for membership to the Center for Research on Vermont. It costs nothing and will help keep you up to date with the latest Vermont news and research, as well as with future podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram under username at CRVT underscore. If you know of a story that should be featured on our show, please contact us. If we missed something or if anything in this episode is incorrect, please email us at crvt at uvm.edu and we will update the information. Regardless, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.